As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. That is Matthew 9 at 9, and this is the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I'm Sarah Chris Meyer, talking with women about the Bible and the difference it makes in our lives. Back with me today, I'm very happy to say, is Meg Hunter-Kilmer, somebody who, maybe not too differently from Matthew in what I just read, answered a call to get up and follow Christ. Meg is an itinerant missionary, a hobo for Christ, as she calls it. She's an author, a sought-after Catholic speaker, and Meg has written two books about the saints and has an excellent Year in the Word Catholic Bible journal that just came out this year. Meg, thanks for joining me. Sarah, I am always delighted to spend time breaking open the Word with you. Well, where are you calling from today? I am in Grand Rapids, Michigan. For a particular occasion? So one of my best friends lives here, two of my goddaughters, and my absolute favorite toddler in the world at the moment. Oh, Uh, nice. (laughs) So I'm mostly just here for toddler hugs um, and a little bit of love from the big people, too. Very nice. Well, that ought to get you nicely ready for the fall traveling and events that I'm sure you have lined up. Always so many things lined up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know there is a ton that we could talk about, but I especially wanted to talk about Matthew today in honor of his feast day and because we have been immersed in his gospel for most of this liturgical year, as you know. And not only did you write the intro to Matthew for the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, I'm guessing you've probably read this gospel straight through, what, 20 or 30 times or something? Probably 45. Okay, 45 times. Uh, That is way more than I have read it straight through, (laughs) I have to say, as much as I love Matthew. And between that and your interest in the saints, I would really love to get your take on Matthew the man. How would you characterize him? You know, Sarah, it's interesting. So uh, the day that this comes out is actually my 40th birthday. Ah. Uh, So the Feast of St. Matthew is my birthday. So Matthew has always been a buddy of mine, I think, just because our birthdays are not coincidental. But he is, he's my fourth favorite gospel at the moment. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's high up there, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Top four for sure. He has been my favorite uh, at certain points. And right now I'm just sort of obsessed with Mark's storytelling and with the intimacy of the encounters that John relates and with the poetry of Luke. Um, and so Matthew isn't at the top of my list of evangelists right now, but I do, I love him as a person. I love hmm. him as as a, the testimony that he gives. One of my favorite things about the person of St. Matthew is that we see his his call recounted in all three synoptic gospels, so in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, And Mark and Luke seem to be trying to cut Matthew a little bit of slack, to cover up a little bit of his shame. They use a different name for him. Matthew uses his own name because Matthew's understanding of the redemptive power of grace is so transformative that he's like, this is not embarrassing. Like I I used to be a Roman collaborator. I, I used to be a terrible piece of garbage who sold out my people, who was instrumental in their oppression and who used them for my own gain. And that's not who I am because Jesus changes everything. Is Matthew a Roman name then? I think I think they're both Hebrew names. It's possible that, you know, it was one of those things where they had like nicknames in different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was like a 
Levi was a pen name. I haven't heard a good explanation of why he's sometimes why why Levi is the name that he's sometimes given. Um, but the fact that he doesn't need to conceal things. I mean, it's the same way that when you see Peter's most embarrassing moments in Mark's gospel, mm-hmm. you know that Mark said, Peter, I don't have to write this. And Peter said, oh, write it. <laughs> it's okay because this isn't who I am anymore. And and witnessing that and being able to look at our own lives and the areas of shame that we have and the feelings of inadequacy that we have that we want to conceal, that we don't, not only do we not want to share with the world, you know, and that can be a reasonable and prudent thing, but we don't want to let the light of Christ shine into them. And Matthew sits here and says, no, Jesus changes everything. I'm not ashamed of who I used to be anymore. So for those who don't know who he used to be, who was Matthew? Yes. He, so he was a tax collector, which is not like the ancient equivalent of working for the IRS. It's, it's more- <laughs> That may not be the, good though. <laughs> right, right. It's more the ancient equivalent of being a Nazi collaborator. Ooh. Right? These Roman oppressors came in to destroy his people. And Matthew said, ooh, I could make some money off of that. And so Matthew is instrumental in the oppression of his people. He's also in league with Gentiles, likely breaking bread with Gentiles. So he's ritually unclean, as well as having these massive ethical issues because of the way that he's selling out his people. And most likely, he was also specifically extorting them because the way that tax collectors earned their money was by taking extra money from the people who were being oppressed by the Romans. So there's really, there's nothing good about this circumstance. (laughs) And to see that Matthew doesn't feel the need to excuse himself, doesn't feel the need even to express any self-flagellation of like, oh, I was just such a piece of garbage, but Jesus came in. He's like, well, that's just not who I am anymore. That's the reality of who I was. I mean, St. Paul will say that about himself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so what a difference. But what an interesting person for Jesus to call. I mean, it's not like Matthew heard all about Jesus and decided to go. I mean, maybe he did, but it says specifically here that Jesus asked him to follow. Jesus went to find him. Matthew sitting at the customs post, not Matthew sitting on the outside of the crowd sort of listening. Like Matthew actively engaged in the destruction of the people of God. And Jesus said, I want you. And to see the transformation of Matthew, who just got up and followed. Yeah. Right? And I I mean, I can't wait in heaven to be like, Matthew, for real though, like what was going on inside your head? What did you think when he said that? And were you calculating how much you were going to lose? Or was there just something about Jesus? Where you looked in his eyes and you were like, I don't care. I don't care what it costs me. I don't care who hates me. I don't care if the Romans send assassins after me to punish me for leaving my post. Like, gets up, leaves his post, and follows Jesus immediately. Yeah, his post, his position in society, his way of making money, everything. Everything. And he does it to enter into a community of men who hated him. Right? I mean, the disciples, the the 12 are by and large faithful Jewish men who would have loathed Matthew. But then, Sarah, there's Simon the Zealot, whose literal job was to go around and try and take down the Romans, whatever it took. I mean, these were men who were trained as militants, right? They're, I mean, in some ways, sort of a, a terrorist group at the time that were just trying to use violence to destroy the Roman hold 
on the Hebrew people. And, and here Matthew is now camping with Simon the Zealot, right? Like these two could not have been more opposed to one another, but the power of grace makes it possible for us to walk arm in arm with our enemies. And that's just so interesting. I mean, I don't recall reading anything really else about Simon the Zealot, but just given the fact of who he was, um, you know, it's not like they just went to the same church. They had to live together with Jesus, you know. Right. They had to navigate the complexity of Jesus engaging with the Roman world, engaging with Roman authorities, right? Like it, it wasn't just we're here in Galilee and Jesus is doing his thing and we're trying to ignore who Matthew used to be and ignore who Simon used to be, right? This is Jesus now before Pilate. This is Jesus when the centurion comes and asks for his servant to be healed. Like it's, there's always this reminder of the past and Matthew continuing to say, but I am not my past because I am made new. It just says so much about Jesus, too, that he would deliberately gather people like this into his main company. And such a call to us to ask ourselves, who have we excluded Mm -hmm. from the church? Who have we excluded from our circles? Who have we excluded from any sphere of influence in our lives because because of these things that are significant, right? Like you've got You've got people who, I don't know, we just, we want to exclude people because of their sexuality or because of their politics or because of their immigration status or because of their level of education, all of these things that we want to dismiss people. And Jesus is like, I took a tax collector and a zealot and I made them roommates, you know, like, yeah, (laughs) happily. I need you to understand that you don't get to dismiss people because of who they were or because of who they are, right? There's always this call to conversion, but the call to conversion has to be rooted in the fact that we encounter each other in community. This is a a bit of an aside, but I would love to ask you, have you watched The Chosen? Yes, Sarah, I love it. What do you think about their depiction of Matthew? Because it is so unexpected and striking for people who haven't watched The Chosen, which is a series about the life of Christ. They portray Matthew as someone who has maybe autism or Asperger's. You know, he's definitely somewhere on the spectrum. What do you think about that? One thing I love about The Chosen, and I really do recommend it as a series. It's not one of these um, anemic, saccharine, (laughs) Christian attempts at art. They really are doing an excellent job with this work. And it might not be to your taste, and it might not be spiritually helpful for you, and that's fine. But it's definitely worth a shot. They give people personalities that aren't contrary to what scripture suggests, but aren't necessarily required by the reading of scripture, right? Like Peter, I think anybody who's read the gospels knows who Peter is, right? Like we have a real strong sense of who Peter is. And I think they get him spot on. The way that they depict John made me super cranky, but it's not (laughs) something that's contradicted by the text. Matthew was really interesting to me uh, because their, their approach to Matthew is. I I think really rooted in Matthew's frequent direct quotations of Jesus, right? This idea that he would have been so precise in making sure that he got these words right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's just really interesting to consider, you know, like maybe, maybe Matthew had autism and maybe Jude, the apostle had OCD and maybe, you know, like all of these things that we think of as being sort of like new and irrelevant to the realities of, of the people in the gospels. And that's just not true, right? And so we can see ourselves in 
in these characters in scripture, even in the parts of our lives that feel like they're not represented, we can say, okay, but what if, what if Nathaniel had anxiety? And that's the reason that he was sitting underneath the fig tree is that he was just like racked by anxiety. What does that say about my experience of the Lord that he speaks into that and says, no, I saw you and I know who you are and I still chose you. Right. Yeah. And this thought, I guess, in Matthew's case that, you know, clearly we think about him and Jesus presents him as, you know, a sinner who needs repentance. But is he also somebody who struggled with rejection and isolation, with being an outsider, just even even before he joined the Romans because of his condition? Exactly. And what does that say about, about Jesus is bringing him alongside and making him part of his family and so on? Mm-hmm. It's uh, really interesting to think about. One thing I also really love about Matthew is, you know, the, the big thing about Matthew's gospel that sets it apart and the thing that makes me feel bad about saying he's currently my fourth favorite, but I do love this. <laughs> he uses so much of the Old Testament. He is writing to a Jewish community and he's showing again and again, this is the way that Jesus fulfills the promises of the old covenant. This is how the Lord was setting the stage for Jesus. This is how we know that he is the true Messiah. And to hear that from a man whose whole adult life, as best we can tell, until he met Jesus, was about rejecting the old covenant, Mm. about being removed from that community. I mean, as a tax collector, he wasn't going to synagogue every Sabbath. Right, like he wasn't, he wasn't studying Torah. Odds are really good; it's it would be very difficult to study Torah and convince yourself that you should be doing what a tax collector <laughs> had to do. And just meditating on after he met Jesus, you know, he has this this short little maybe three year stint of following Jesus. I think he must have just sat down with the scriptures that he had ignored his whole life hmm. and just soaked in them, just like guzzled down this living water of the Old Testament so that he could make all of these connections. And it's just so interesting that it's not it's not this deeply Jewish John who's making all of those connections. It's Matthew who met Jesus and it made him hunger for the Old mm-hmm. Testament. And I think as Christians so often, we're content with the Gospels or maybe with the epistles because they're comfortable, Mm -hmm. they're easier for us to understand. But if we're really encountering Jesus, we are going to hunger for his word in the Old Testament too. And to see the way that Matthew then went back and was like, I'm going to build a whole foundation. And maybe he was really good at Hebrew school when he was a kid and he just ignored it for a couple of years. It's possible. (laughs) But, But it feels to me like meeting Jesus made him hunger for the word of the Father and the promises that had been written. And then mm. he went back and just needed to know all of this. And then we, 2000 years later, benefit from that because we see all of these connections that the Holy Spirit drew through Matthew because of Matthew longing to know the Lord through his word. Mm. Maybe there was also a little bit of um, people wouldn't take his word for it. So he had to prove what he was saying. Oh, that's a really interesting thought, Sarah, that God was working through Matthew's past, right? Because of this shame of his past, he had to work extra hard. But because he works extra hard, we then reap the benefit of all of that, right? I mean, it's it's that uh, the sinful woman in Luke 7, where Jesus says, she has shown great love because her many sins have been forgiven, right? Yeah. Because of Matthew's sin and his past and his brokenness, God has poured even more abundantly into the world. And interesting because Paul, who certainly knew more than most people, yes. is speaking to the Gentiles who don't know the 
the past. So perhaps it is that in in being drawn to talk to that other audience, they really had to uh, learn a lot more themselves. I think with Paul particularly, Paul is humility is not his greatest skill, right? <laughs> not his greatest gift. <laughs> and I think that if he had been sent as the apostle to the Jews, he could have become so very pleased with himself for all of the things that he knew, all the things he was able to do, that he he might have become this great apostle and lost his soul because of his arrogance. Yeah. But because he's being sent to the Gentiles where he doesn't have the authority, they don't care that he's a Pharisee, they're not interested in his learning, God's like, okay, let me be the one who does this work. You know, maybe similarly with Matthew, his ability to recount all of these details is rooted in this natural skill of his, but God is like, okay, well, but also I really need you to be the one who shows them how Isaiah relates, who shows them how Jeremiah relates. And Matthew's like, okay, well, you're going to have to do that, Lord, because I can't do it myself. (laughs) And perhaps the discovery lends some excitement, you know, to his writing. I remember the first time I actually taught Matthew in a, uh, it was a, a Bible study group. The thing that stood out to me from the very first lesson was that everyone wanted to skip forward to a part that they, that made sense to them or that was interesting because so much of it from the very first line has to do with the Old Testament. And if you don't know your Old Testament, you have to kind of skip along and move forward to the next verse to even understand what is going on. <laughs> you know, why is it so important that he does quote from the Old Testament? Apart, th- apart from the fact that that would maybe prove to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, why would we care? Oh, Sarah, I just love the Old Testament so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that we can see in, in the Hebrew Scriptures the way that God was laying all of the groundwork for this. But I love also that we can see the way that God's abundant love manifests itself in different ways, right? And the more that we are rooted in the reality of the beauty of the Old Testament, I think the easier it is for us in our in our particular circumstances to say, okay, it's hard for me to see how this is God protecting me. This is God taking care of me. But I've seen the way the wandering in the desert was a gift. And I've seen the way the Babylonian captivity was a gift. And I've seen the way even the Assyrian exile was a gift. I know that God can do beautiful things through seemingly horrific circumstances. And so I can trust that he's working in these circumstances as well. And when when we come to know Jesus, we can know him just so much more fully because we have this background, because we have this context, right? I mean, I always am really struck by any mention of Egypt in the Old Testament, Um, God says again and again and again and again, do not go to Egypt. Do not go back to Egypt. Don't ask Egypt for help. Don't rely on Egypt. Never, ever go to Egypt. And then he sends his son to Egypt. And that's in Matthew's gospel, not in the others. That's in Matthew's gospel, exactly. In Matthew chapter two, he sends his son into Egypt. And it's not just because he's like, ooh, that one time I wrote out of Egypt, I have called my son, so I should send Jesus to Egypt so I can call him (laughs) out. Like, it's not just... God put all these Easter eggs in the Old Testament and now he's like showing us how cool it is. It's it's because he's saying like I will step into the ugliness that I want to save you from. Right? Like I don't want you to go to Egypt, but I'll go to Egypt. I'll go to Egypt for you and I'll suffer that for you and I will step into that sin and I will defeat it so that I can redeem you from it. And so every time in the Old Testament that I'm reading about Egypt, I'm like, "Oh, 
man, God wants to protect me from all of this, but he does it by entering into it for me so that I don't have to suffer it myself. Well, and the cool thing about it is that he also redeems Egypt in a way because Egypt that was a place of slavery becomes a a haven for our Mm -hmm. Lord. A haven for Jesus. And then one of the most Christian countries of the ancient world, right? St. Mark goes there, preaches the gospel there. We, we don't think of this because Egypt feels like such an Islamic country to us, but Cairo is from the Cairo, the, the abbreviation for Christ, right? The city is named after wow. Jesus. <laughs> well, what are some of the other things that we see in Matthew in particular that draw on the Old Testament that are important to us? Oh, just again and again, right? I mean, I think a lot of it is that the early stuff um, Mm -hmm. where we're seeing the genealogy, right? And we're looking at these women in the genealogy, which is just such a gift as a woman to see Matthew, who is not, I mean, Matthew's not Luke, right? Luke works very hard to include women in his story. He wants to make sure that we see that women are invited into the kingdom as well. Matthew, that's just not one of his hobby horses, but in the genealogy, he's like, okay, but look at, look at what God was doing through Tamar, right? Tamar of all people, right? Tamar who tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her so that she could get pregnant by him. And Matthew's like, and look how God is redeeming this, right? Look how he's redeeming Rahab, the prostitute. Look how he's redeeming the assault on Bathsheba. Look how God doesn't give up on people because of their origins or because of their fallenness or because of the damage that's been done to them, right? Ruth, the pagan, becomes an ancestor, not only of King David, but of Jesus himself. And again, Anything that the Lord is telling us in scripture is not just going to be an interesting thought experiment or something fun for us to observe. It's always speaking into the darkness of our lives. So this genealogy isn't just like, oh, isn't it cool that you know some of these names, right? This genealogy is saying, stop for a minute. The worst moment of Bathsheba's life gets redeemed. Hmm. And maybe one of the worst parts of Matthew's life. Maybe he was sensitive to that in other people and just seeing how God was was redeeming unlikely people because he had experienced that for himself. Exactly. Meg, when I think about Matthew and what is unique about Matthew as opposed to other Gospels, I think some of my favorite Bible passages, maybe even in all the Bible, come from Matthew. I think about the Beatitudes, the parable of the sower, um, Jesus saying, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. Do you have a favorite section of Matthew or parable or something that comes from Matthew that you really love? You know, we've talked before about Matthew 10, 29 to 31. So people can go back and find that episode and they can they can listen to me gush about Jesus calling us and saying that he loves us more than many sparrows. For a long, long time, it was Matthew 11, 28 to 30, which I think a lot of people are very familiar with, especially Catholics, because we often see it on our statues of the Sacred Heart. It says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. And I think at first blush, this is a really sweet moment of comfort. It's the Lord saying, I know that you're weary. I know that things are hard. You don't have to do this alone. You don't have to be strong on your own. Come to me and let me carry this with you. Let me carry this for you. But I remember, you know, I'd prayed with this verse so many times. Um, it was my, my, absolute favorite passage for probably four or five years. And I remember noticing 
in verse 29, it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am meek and humble of heart and you will find rest for yourselves. And recognizing that at the center of this, yes, honey, it's hard and you're going to be okay passage was Jesus saying, what's going to make it okay is the hard work of learning to be meek and humble of heart. Hmm. It's not just if you love Jesus, everything is easy. And it's not just if you love Jesus, you can like take a minute and just like hide your heart in him, right? That that part is true. You can hide your heart in Jesus. But what makes life bearable isn't just handing things over to Jesus, but letting him do the hard work of teaching you what it is to be meek and humble of heart, right? So much of what is heavy about our lives is that our our pride or our self-loathing or sometimes a mixture of the both, it just rubs up against the circumstances of our lives. Our desire for control, our inability to let the Lord be the one who leads is just constantly in tension against the circumstances of our lives. And so when things are impossibly hard, Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to make this not hard. I'm going to take away what's difficult. He says, come to me and let me teach you again what it is to trust me. Let me teach you again what it is to let me be the one in charge of your life, to be meek, not meaning shy or retiring or disappearing, shrinking, but to be meek by saying, Lord, I'm going to take all that I am and I'm going to put it under your control and I'm going to let you be God. Hmm. That is beautiful. So Meg, one thing I would love you to comment on, and I think you're the perfect person to ask, because you know we hear all the Gospels all the time at Mass. And we hear Matthew, I mean, every three year, we hear him all year long, every Sunday and a lot of weekdays as well. Why would you say that somebody should also take time to read it or or any gospel by itself as a whole? Sarah, I am just a huge fan of reading the Word of God as it was handed on to us mm-hmm. um, and not just piecemeal in the liturgy. I think it's beautiful to read scripture As we get it liturgically, I bring my Bible with me every day to Mass, and I have bookmarks in the spot in the Gospel, because broadly speaking, during ordinary time, we just move systematically through a Gospel. And it's lovely to read along in my Bible with my notes and my highlighting as I'm hearing it proclaimed from the pulpit. Uh, But I think that, first of all, we, we cut out some parts when we're reading it liturgically, because they would be a little bit difficult to preach on or because, you know, we just have to, we have to pick and choose if we're going to fit it all in. And so there are pieces that you're not really going to spend time with. Um, But I think getting it all in context, seeing the way that these things hang together is so important to get a real sense of who Jesus is by seeing, oh, well, after that parable, he did this. Like, and I, I would have noticed that because we read this yesterday and we're reading this today, but 23 hours have passed between now and then. You know, I have no, I have no idea what, what Jesus was doing yesterday. Like that was a long time ago. Uh, to see some of these passages that when taken in a vacuum, we don't necessarily realize the connections that are being made. I love when Jesus talks about the widow's might. Mm-hmm. If you read the widow's might just on her own, you think, oh, wow, he's really saying how wonderful that this woman has given so much. And and I think that's a part of it. But when you see it in context, you realize that he has just condemned people who destroy the houses of widows by requiring them to give everything to the temple. Hmm. And you see that it's not 
It's not just, it's great when you give everything you have to the Lord, but it's also, you cannot hold everybody to the same standard and expect people to live in exactly the same way. Because for me to spend half an hour in prayer every day is like really nothing at all. And for my sister who has nine children to spend half an hour in prayer every day is a really, really big ask, right? Mm -hmm. And that was something, again, I had had read that passage dozens of times before I, I really noticed the way that those two things connect. And it's just one after the other, but there's, it's a new paragraph and there's a new heading, right? And so your brain is like, oh, we're resetting. If that's what's happening, even when I'm reading it beginning to end, when we're reading it just in chunks being pulled out, just in the parts that we're comfortable with and the things that we like, it's very easy for us not to engage with the challenging things that the Lord is trying to propose to us. Mm. And so I'm a big fan, as we've talked about many times, of reading the Bible in its entirety. But I think the Gospels especially, because I fully understand there are parts of Ezekiel that will probably remain opaque to me for the rest (laughs) of my life, and that's okay. right? There are parts of Second Chronicles that every time I read, I'm like, Lord, I know this is your word, and I know you're doing something, and maybe one day I'll know what it is. But the Gospels man, every single word in there is just an invitation into the heart of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's into parts of the heart of Jesus that you don't necessarily want to deal with. The woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, the brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. But we need to hear those things too. Otherwise they wouldn't be in God's word. So yeah, I would really invite people, you know, maybe you're not in a place where you can read the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, but, but you can handle 28 chapters of Matthew. Right, you can handle sixteen chapters of Mark. Right? Yeah, like, yep. you can do it, and and the Lord's going to do something beautiful when you pursue Him in that way. Well, thank you for explaining those things, and I think that's a real encouragement to do exactly what you suggested. And maybe as we go into fall now, you know, maybe a little new school year resolution to read the Gospel of Matthew and read it all together at one sitting even. It would take a couple hours if you did that, I guess, but maybe read it over the course of a week if you can't do that. But do it now so that as we continue to go through particularly the last chapters of Matthew where we are now, see how it affects you to have it in context and see the richness that God brings to you as you read that way. Meg, I would love to pray with that passage that you read from Matthew from chapter 11. It comes at the end of the chapter, verses 28 to 30. This is probably one of a lot of people's favorite passages, and it's a really good one to memorize because there are many times that we are you know, heavy laden and burdened, and this is good instruction to us from our Lord. I'm going to read it from a little bit different translation than you did, um, but it's the same meaning, same Word of God, and I'll read it slowly. Maybe you would like to close your eyes and just allow the Lord to speak to you as you listen to his word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, come, Holy Spirit, speak to us as we read and hear your word. And Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Thank you, Jesus, for your word and for the life and strength that it brings. Please open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive and ponder what you say to us in Scripture. Give us the grace that we need to love and live your word in our daily lives. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. St. Matthew. Pray for us. And Mary, Mother of the Word. Pray for us. Thank you so much, Meg. I uh, just love talking about Scripture for you. I love all the um, that we share so many things, especially our love of the Old Testament and how everything ties together and Jesus' love that shines through. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we go? If you have been trying to read Scripture and it hasn't been gelling for you, if it's not working out for you, there are so many different ways to read the Word of God. Um, so if if the section you're reading you're not feeling, if the approach you're taking you're not feeling, I just really want to invite you, maybe try a different book, try Lexio Divina, try Ignatian Meditation, find sacred art that depicts moments in the life of Christ, meditate on that, find music. And there are just so many different ways to enter into Scripture, um, and it's not something that it's not something that's foreign to Catholic sensibilities. It's not something that is only for a certain type of person. I mean, I think I think reading scripture is going to be easier for certain people. It's August when we're recording this, and I have already read 125 books this year. I am a reader. <laughs> so it's going to be easier for me, and, that, and that's okay for you to look at that and say, okay, like this is easier for her, but that doesn't mean that it's inaccessible for you. It doesn't mean that God isn't calling you to know him through his word. Um, so just keep trying, just keep running after the Lord and soaking in his word, because uh, I promise it is something that you will never regret. Amen. It also can be helpful if you like to journal, to jot down the things that you've heard from the Lord and questions that you want to come back to. And Meg has a, a wonderful journal whose name I'm is escaping me. What was the name of your journal again? It's called A Year in the Word. It leads you through reading the entire Bible in a year and the Gospels twice. So there's a schedule that has lots of little carrots dangling in front of you. So when you're halfway through Leviticus, you get to read Philippians, something like that <laughs> so you, to keep you on track. I met a woman yesterday and she brought her beat up copy of the journal and she said, I'm on the right day. Oh, <laughs> nice. so proud of her. <laughs> uh, it doesn't, you don't need to do it in a year. You can do it in five years. That's fine. Um, but again, it's, it's just an invitation. There are meditations every day on different readings um, to try and help you find some way that you can connect with scripture so that the Lord can continue to draw you into his heart that way. Yes. So take advantage of Meg's journal, or we have the companion journal to the Living the Word Catholic Women's Bible, if you like to go at your own pace instead of reading through. But whatever you do, read the Bible. And thank you so much for listening to us. This is Sarah Chris Meyer, and this has been the Living the Word Bible Podcast. I hope that you will join me every Thursday for conversations with women like Meg who love and live God's word. And you can also join our Instagram community. It's at Living the Word Bible and hop on into any uh, conversation that's happening there. I would love to hear from you. And God bless you as you read his word.